I, I love the last words of that song. Uh, this is my story. This is my song. How, what is our story? It's how we live our di- uh, daily lives. That's our story. It's our story to our neighbors. It's our stories to our family. It's our stories to the people we meet on the street. It's our story to our coworkers, and it's our story to the Lord. Amen? Well, we're going to be in Daniel 9 this morning. And, uh, well, why don't we jump right in? Uh, Daniel 9, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, uh, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So you might remember at the very beginning of our book of Daniel, it was the time when Daniel was a young man and he was drug off to Babylon. And then, you know, for, for all these years, he was about 14, 15 years of age, somewhere right in there. And all these years, he's remained faithful to God. Every day, living his life, just as the song said, this is my story, this was Daniel's story. Every day, he was faithful. And as he's opening up the prophecies, opening up Jeremiah's uh, writings, Daniel reads that after 70 years, that God's people get to what? If they, if they repent, if they change their life, their attitudes and their decisions, God will search their heart and see their repentance and allow them to return to Jerusalem. And Daniel, as he reads this, He realizes, wow, God is talking directly to me. This prophecy was about me and my friends and all those who were drug off from Jerusalem in the area back to Babylon. God is ready to give Daniel the grace that the people need. Verse 3, it says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth. And ashes. And we talked about last week that this represents a, a mourning or a sadness or a repentance. That, uh, you know, in that culture, if you did this, people would understand that something was up and you were lamenting something and you were sorry for something. But it, but it reminded everybody, hey, there's something going on here. And in verse 4, it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. So what, uh, what are you do, you know, what are you gonna, uh, going to see here is that Daniel is weaving together two important concepts that we talked about last week. A very positive concept and a very negative concept. And it's kind of braided together in one prayer. One concept is that we have sinned and we recognize that. There is no blame. We are all complicit. I'm not talking about the Babylonians. I'm talking about the Israelites, ourselves, as you know, from Daniel's perspective, is what he's saying. And then he blends it together with this, God, you are beautiful. God, you are wonderful. And it becomes a single prayer of confession and praise. 
And we talked about last week how our prayer life, you know, when we pray to God, it should start out with a praise. You know, it should be recognizing who God is before we get into going, okay, God, I got my list. Let me go down my list. I need help with this. I need, you know, this last week I'm like, Lord, you know, help my boys. Lord, help my, my mom. Help, you know, and those things. But before all that starts, it should be, God, you are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are gracious. You are something that I don't even understand and I can't completely understand. And that communication back and forth with the Lord. But Daniel recognizes that throughout their history, there have been more wicked generations than godly generations with the Israelites. But he doesn't grovel before God. I'm so awful, I'm so awful, I'm terrible. God, I'm just so bad. He doesn't do that. He's just making a statement. He's just recognizing the depravity of man, which includes himself, which is very ironic because he's a very uh, righteous person, one of the few in the Bible that that, uh, you don't find anything negative written about. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but we don't find that a lot. We don't find that uh, negativity uh, about Daniel, but he's sitting there going, we, he's including himself into that sin. And going on to verse six, he says, we have not listened to your servants and the prophets who spoke in your name to, uh, to our kings, our princesses, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we are our kings, our princesses and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey it. And he goes on and on, and he keeps repeating it. And, you know, the repetition is not for God's sake. God recognizes their sin. God understands their sin. But God's sitting there, you know, it's it's not for God going, oh, you, you did this? You know, God's not questioning it. God already knows it. He knows that the repetition is actually for Daniel's ears, for the, for the readers of the future, those who would read it, and, and, you know, like us. And, and the only reason we know about this prayer is because Daniel, when he was alone, he said this prayer, and then he went, and at some point, and he wrote it down. And thank God he wrote it down, because it teaches us how to repent, how to get right with God, and how to write down things. It's good to write down things. It's good to, to recognize, okay, God has answered this prayer on this date. I confess these sins at this point. I have sinned against. It's good to, to know where we've been so we can know where we're going. Sometimes when we pray, it's, Lord, you're so amazing. And where do I start today? I have such a busy day, Lord. And, and you know, should I eat lunch now or later? You know, I... <laughs> You know, tell me if you do this. Driving alone in your car, man, it's a great day with the Lord. The mountains are beautiful when we can see them. And it's great, you're spending time with God, and you're thinking about God, and all of a sudden you're like, why did this idiot just pull right in front of me? 
You know, I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe that's how my mind works. But it, that's one reason why you have to pray out loud. Because when you pray silently, what happens? Your mind is like a six-year-old. Just goes right off. My son, very smart. The teacher has him in the front desk right in front of her desk. Literally, his desk is touching her desk along with another student. Why is that? Because his mind goes right off, right? Sometimes we're like that with the Lord. We need to pray out loud so, so we're, you know, it keeps us on task. Now, I think, it's the, I think the angels have some amazing talks when they're on break, or, you know, when they're doing their union break or whatever, you know, about us. I mean, think about it. You know, they're sitting there going, man, can you believe what he just pulled? You know, I mean, I think it'd be kind of funny to listen in to some of their conversations. But for some reason, the Lord doesn't allow us to. But for the first 15 verses, Daniel mixes confession and adoration for God. And Daniel says to him, I get it. We, have, we are a sinful people. Daniel lives in Babylon. He knows what's going on. Babylon is like a mixture of Amsterdam and Las Vegas and San Francisco or Rio or, you know, any town that you could imagine. Uh, once we were going on a mission trip and we st- had a layover in Amsterdam for nine hours and we decided to go um, out and about and traipse around. And our, our fearless leader of the mission trip, luckily it wasn't me on this trip, um, he took us, a, you know, down this turn, down the street. And we were walking down and all of a sudden we realized we we're in the middle of the red light district. The wares are in the windows, you know, and you're like, okay, you know, a little different. That's what Daniel's living in in Babylon. He's living in an extremely sinful culture. Compared to, to most Babylons, Daniel and his friends are very, very, very righteous people. He could have easily looked out the window and prayed about their sins, but he doesn't do it. He is focusing on his own sin instead of the sins of others. And I tell you, that is one of the hardest things to get through our minds is to focus on ourselves and not other people, right? Because we like to compare ourselves instead of looking at ourselves. Now, you have to know that in Daniel's mind, Babylon's sin far outweighed their sin. He could have gone there, but he didn't. Daniel understands that Jeremiah has said, when the people repent, they will be released from bondage. And Daniel starts that, pro- uh, that process. He focuses on that. It's important. We could spend every weekend together focusing on America's sin. Or the sin of specific people. I mean, we see it all over our TVs, Right? A whole series on sin we could preach on every week about the sins that are out there in this world and then forget about ourselves. We need to remember the sin that we have. And as a church, we have to say, what are our sins? As a family, we have to say, what are our sins? In our own personal lives, we have to say, what are our sins that we have to confess to the Lord? Now, once we identify some of those things, what do we start doing? Well, most of the time we start talking to other people about it, right? We call it prayer. Can you pray for so-and-so? This is what's going on in their life. Let me tell you, it's a doozy. 
You know, and we love to talk about other people. We identify the problem, and then we run around and get other people to agree with us. And during the course of time, we've actually created a whole other problem within the church. And people who hadn't thought about it now agree with you, and they're thinking about it now, and it creates factions within churches. And then you go to the, that group, and, and say, you know, a group says, we all agree that we have the problem, and you know what? Next thing you know, I receive a call, or a pastor receives a call, or an email. And the pastor probably already knows about it. But they're like, you know what the Lord revealed to me? And you're just kind of like, okay, well, here it comes. This will be interesting, you know. But then we demand results. Well, the pastor's supposed to go out and fix that problem, you know. I, you know, I want a meeting with the pastor, and I want to change these things. Now, this hasn't happened lately or anything like that, but I'm just saying in typical churches, especially larger churches, you have stuff like this going on. And, and they're like, he, he is, after all, the leader of the church, and I think he ought to take care of this problem. There's nothing wrong with calling or emailing the pastor because maybe, you know, we don't know everything. Or maybe sometimes the pastor goes, wow, they actually noticed. That's good. Somebody else noticed, too. But the problem is people go, I've recognized that and I've done my part. I've gossiped to a lot of people and I've complained to the pastor. Now I'm going to go back to my real job. And that creates the problems around the church. We've got to get to a place of maturity in our lives. When we identify a problem, and first we don't gossip about it. If God told you about the problem... Maybe he's asking you to put on sackcloth. Maybe he's asking you to go to a point of fasting and and praying before you do anything else. Now, I'm not saying that we need to hide things or, or not talk about things, but have you ever seen a dysfunctional family? And some of you are going, yeah, my family. You know, I mean, I, I've come to believe every family's got a little bit of dysfunction in it, okay? There's no perfect families. The TV families out there, that is not reality, okay? But the churches like to act the same way. We have no problems. Too often we say, here's the problem. Now, now you go fix it, pastor. But first of all, we need to go to God. That's where, that's where we need to go. But often we jumpstart these things. And instead of asking God, should I get involved in this? We're out there causing issues. One thing Daniel has done for me is to get me praying more often. And this can be hard with two boys around the house when school gets canceled on Friday or we have a holiday on Monday. I mean, you got, we all have our excuses, right? Life is busy. Have you noticed that? And, and uh, retired folks, is life busy? Yeah, seems like you get more, uh, you get busier, you know? But it's important for us to pray and to focus ourselves during our prayer. And then, you know, out, out of that, the Lord may lead us in a certain direction, but it starts with us focusing on our lives and not others. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So let's pick this apart a little bit. If my people who are called by my name, who is that? That is us, right? Will humble themselves, pray, seek him, 
and turn from their wicked ways. This is, a, this is an amazing promise. Now, what is our land? Well, in a broad concept, okay, a broad concept. I'm not saying biblical concept. I'm saying broad concept. You know, America is our land. There they were talking about Israel and their land. But here we're talking about our land. You know, it's where we, but it's also, bring it down a little bit, it's where we work. It's where we live. It's where we pray. To these guys, uh, who, these guys were an agricultural people. Their land was right around them, their tribe, you know, the tribe of Benjamin or this tribe or that tribe, you know, and then Israel. For ourselves, it's our family, our groups that we gather together with, our church, our town, the Central Valley, California. Do you know we need to be praying for California? Yeah, everybody laughs. The question is, have we been praying for California? Have we been praying for our county? Have we been praying for Tulare? Have we been praying for our churches? These are the things that we need to not just recognize, but we also need to do. Verse 16. O Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts. So now he's going to bring a specific request to God. Not according to my righteousness, are not according to our little group agrees that we've really messed up, um, you know, according to your righteousness. I'm not asking on any basis except for your righteousness. Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and, uh, and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. It's like, uh, God, if you haven't noticed, the neighbors don't really respect us. Why is that? Well, we've been a little hypocritical. Been a little hypocritical. And it's our own fault. But according to your righteousness, help us not be a reproach to your name. Help us not shame your name. That's a big ask. We shame his name too often by the way we live because our story is not going toward God. Our story needs to go toward God and we need to ask him for his help. Verse 17, Now, O God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Now, for the Old Testament Jew, they're literally talking about a building. The New Testament Christian, we're talking about what? Are we talking about this building and these few acres? That, you know, this morning I was like, man, these buildings, you know. Uh, I love them and I hate them, you know. They were built in 1961 and things don't always work right, you know. But are we talking about that? No. We're talking about this temple, your temple. Your body. You are the temple of God. Bless us as individuals temple as individual temples to you, God, as a corporate temple, as our relationships to you. We're asking you to bless this temple once again, even though we've defiled ourselves, 
We can defile ourselves in lots of ways, with, with alcohol, with evil thoughts, with drugs, with sugar, with caffeine, with Diet Coke, or anything that defiles our body. We can, you know, that can get in the way and defile our bodies. But God, I know we profane the temple, and we're asking you to bless it again. We're asking you to. You know, some people, we can be six months clean and sober, from something, it doesn't have to be alcohol, but from something, some type of sin, and that shame wagon comes along on an hourly basis. The guilt trip, you know, you know, backs up and drops off a load of guilt on us. But as we read his word, it actually says that God can use us again, even though I have no right to ask God to use me. God, please... Please use me. Please help me to be used by you. Please help me to believe that you can use me. You can use me. You can clean up this temple. And you're not saying, well, you screwed up. And you're going to pay, Alan. You're going to pay. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to cleanse you. No other religions, even some that even call themselves Christians, the scriptures say that we can repent and confess and only the Lord knows whether it's real or not. And only the, you know, only the Lord knows whether, where our heart is. So don't add up your tears. Those are external, okay? But the, it's the internal that counts. It's your attitude. But he cleans us up and then uses us again. It's an amazing thing that our God does. And, and I don't you know, understand why he does it. We're nothing like that. If you mess up too many times with me, eventually I'm going to become a little leery of you, and you're kind of out of my relationships. You know what I'm saying? Goodbye. That, that's, as humans, that's how we treat each other, right? Or am I just me? Can the pastor say that? Okay, I'm not sure. You know, some of us are like, don't let the whole door hit you on the way out, you know. But that's just my flesh. That's the defense mechanism that we build in our lives after we've been ran over. So before the boys were born, you know, trying to get different projects done around the house, right? So I cleaned out the garage, which ironically, I'm doing that this weekend too. But, the, you know, but you start cleaning up things so you can get everything in and, and fit it. So, so the problem is I got these boxes full of tool, tools, right, from projects or whatever. And I threw the stuff in the boxes and I put it in the shed thinking I'm going to go through these later, right? But I wasn't finished all the way. So I started looking for a specific tool I needed. I knew I had one. In fact, I knew I had two that I'd bought over the years, but I couldn't find it without cleaning up and going through all the boxes first, right? Oh, so much fun. So think about it. What's easier to do? You go down and buy a new tool, right? That's the easy thing to do. And, you know, and I'm happy about the new tool, and I'm driving home, and the Lord says, Alan, I am nothing like you. Well, thanks, Lord. Appreciate that. I never would have done what you just did. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he says, how many times have I come looking for you? And I wanted to use you. 
and you were so rusted and hidden away in a box in the shed and really unusable, it would have been easier to go out and find a a nice shiny new tool and use that tool. But the Lord doesn't do that. He takes the old tool and he gets out the WD-40 or he gets out the grease or he gets out the little steel wool and he starts cleaning up the tool so it gets shinier. It can still be used. It's not perfect, but guess what? We're not perfect. And the Lord is ready to use us again. The Lord doesn't throw us out like trash. The Lord doesn't go to the store and get a new one. And I'm like, Lord, even if I stay out in the rain and get really rusted up, and he goes, yeah, even if you do that. But if you go out there and do that, if you get all rusted up, you will hate it. You will be miserable. Because in order for you to be all rusted, you have to go through this disgusting process. And if that is what you choose... That is fine. One of these days I'll have to go and clean you up and you will not necessarily like the cleaning process, but I'm not going to discard you because I love you. That's our Lord. I'm willing to stop and do everything to clean you up for the thousandth time. Hmm. It goes on in verse 20. And says, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin of my people, my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God from his holy, uh, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, if you think about this, uh, no big deal. You could just keep reading. Okay, Gabriel, the, you know, the angel came down right at the time of the eating sacrifice, and he instructed me and said to me, you could keep going, but think about this for a second. He's been praying three times a day all his life. He has not been in Israel. He is now 85 years old, and God is about to do something new, and God never, you know, never stops surprising us, never stops Daniel knows when the temple sacrifice was supposed to be. During the evening hours, he was ready to hear from the Lord. He goes on, verse 22, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. What a compliment from the Lord. You are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Wow. Daniel is saying that Gabriel reached out to him about the time of the evening offering, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Israel at the temple. But there is no temple at this point. We know it was about 3 o'clock, but what's fascinating is Daniel hasn't been in Israel for 70 years, yet his internal clock knows when it's supposed to be. What does that tell you about this man? Well, he's 85 and never became a Babylonian. He's 85, and now he refers to time no matter where he was in the world, no matter how far away, no matter how many miles or how many years it's been, 
It doesn't matter that, that he is, you know, sold out for God, whether in New York or Rio or the Bay Area or somewhere else. It doesn't matter because God, you know, he knows God is there and he knows when the, the sacrifices are going to be. He is about God and God sent his angel, Gabriel. In a small way, I kind of relate to this. Not that I'm Daniel, okay? I'm not saying that. But when I'm away, I have a feeling about what day it is. No matter whether I'm on a mission trip in the Philippines or at home in Houston, uh, where I grew up or whatever, when Sunday morning hits, I'm thinking about Sunday morning because my mind's in tune to that, okay? On Saturday night, I already know. I'm already prepping. I'm already finishing up things. And in a small way, I relate to this. For, you know, but there's another thing here. For Daniel being a Jew, Jerusalem is the center of the world. It's the center of the world. Now, for a believer in Christ, where is our center? Where is our place that we look to? Since Jesus says we are citizens of another kingdom... And he is the king of that kingdom, and this world is not my home. As we get older and older, and, and, you know, and closer to being with him, we embrace the beginning of being with him. And I think that maybe the more time we spend with God, he can align us with the rhythm of heaven, the sense of being drawn there. And I love older people who grow toward the Lord as they get older. Because I can tell you, there's times when, you know, you run across some grumpy old people. I mean, I'm not saying that young people aren't grumpy either. You know what I'm saying? But there comes a point where as you get older, you feel like you can just say what you want to say because, you know, I'm old enough, right? Am I wrong? Okay, okay, good. I'm not out there too far on the limb. But it's nice when you, you have a, a graceful older person versus that grumpy older person. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a sense of being drawn toward the Lord. And, and like Daniel being drawn toward Jerusalem emotionally. When he prayed, he turned toward Jerusalem because he was drawn toward that. So in a New Testament covenant kind of way, we can be drawn toward the capital city of our citizenship, to our King of Kings, to our Lord of Lords, to our future and our final place where we will be because we are already citizens of that kingdom if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and we've invited him into our lives. He goes on and says in verse 22, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was, was given, which I've come to tell you, for you, have, uh, you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed to your people and your holy city to finish uh, transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy city. And he goes on to say, uh, here, here is where the Messiah will come in the end days. They will be near. And, and it goes into the tribulation. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But before we leave, I want to ask you a question this week. I want to influence you in some way this week. To try to get you to be on the mind of your own sin instead of everyone else's sin. I think that's one of the keys. 
We need to get our, our mind off of our spouse's sin, our other family member's sin. Get your eyes off your boss's sin or your neighbor's sin, your friend's sin. And I want to ask you to take it inward and upward. Three times a day this week, 21 times between now and the next time we meet, I want you to do your best to spend one week in, you know, in a sense, in a, in a sackcloth. To really be searching, soul search for one week where God can calibrate you. And some of us, we might find that one week is not enough. The Lord will tell you, if you start this process, that if we humble ourselves before God, and I don't know what is better, that you feel like you're a shiny new tool being used by God, or that rusty tool that God pulled out of the shed and cleaned up, because both of those have their challenges. But I know this. I have both kinds of tools. The same tool. Brand new one, old rusty one. But guess what? For that tool to actually be used, you had to pick it up. And that's what the Lord does with us. He picks us up and he uses it. If we're humble, if we're repentant, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. And don't believe the devil that tells you that you have done too many bad things to ever be used again. Because that is of the devil, that is not God. That is why he's called the accuser. But on the other hand, if you won't repent, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, the devil's right about you. And God won't use you again until you turn from your wicked ways. Because God refuses to bless the wicked, right? God wants to bless those who turn toward him. So turn to him this week because he is your grace. He is your forgiveness. He is your love. He is your maker. And he is the tool user. Jesus Christ himself, God himself. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up and leads us out. Lord, there are some here that maybe haven't been used in a while. And we pray, Lord, that you're gentle with us as you clean us up. I pray, Lord, that, that we would, you know, as individuals turn towards you, as we as a church would turn towards you and say, Lord, I've done wrong and confess our sins and humble ourselves. Many of us desire to be used, Lord, and we need to be seen, or we need to see ourselves being used. And I pray, Lord, that as you use us in, in so, you know, so minute, small ways, and sometimes big ways, that you can reveal that to us. We can understand that we're a child that you love because we're your children. And you died for our sins. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he overwhelmingly bless you this week when you turn to him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.